Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Nashville Tour Stop Podcast. Sitting across my living room from me today, gosh, long, long, long time friend of mine, uh, Mr. Brandon Ellis. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Of course. Happy Monday. Happy, it is Monday? Is this Monday? Yeah, this is definitely Monday. Yes, it is Monday. It is Monday. Welcome to my home. Man, I just heard my own accent. Welcome to <laughs> <Yeah>. my home. <laughs> you're a Missouri is showing. Yes, yeah. but you're a, you're a Kansas boy, so you through and through. You're familiar with the sounds of the Midwest. I am. Um, somehow, the Southern has creeped in mm-hmm. in a relatively short amount of time. Like I can even <laughs> hear it in my voice now, compared to when I moved to town. You know, three and a half years. I ago. think I think that I'm kind of getting that way too, because I also unironically wear denim on denim now. Oh yeah, I wear the uh, the Canadian tuxedo <laughs> at least once a week, but uh, I mean the Midwest thing traditionally is more neutral. Like, because I guess that's why they always try to find like news, right. news broadcasters and radio <laughs> talent. They like try to find it from the Midwest because it's supposed supposedly it's the supposedly most, most a very neutral. neutral accent. Yeah, but now I see I ah ah like the I don't even <laughs> I don't even know what the phonetic is of of, of the Southern. Every the now Southern and then, thing. my accent kind of starts coming through a little bit because when I was living up in Missouri, I had a lot deeper of an accent. <laughs> but when I was in college, I was studying English and I would have to recite Shakespeare in front of my classes and reciting Shakespeare with a Southern Midwestern accent to be or not to be. <laughs> that is the question. Whether it is nobler doesn't sound great. So did you get the part? I, I, I took diction. It was like trying to like flatten the accent. Yeah. So I've got a pretty neutral accent. Flatten now. the accent, flatten the curve. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so every episode we start by asking our guests how we met. And I don't remember. I do remember. Will you tell us the story? I will tell the story. Give me the all, skinny. To all the good folk and to you. So we met. All right. I'm, I'm timelining this in my brain. You moved here when? I moved here on Labor Day 2019. Okay. So yeah, whatever. September the 1st, times. September 2nd. Yes, the before times. The uh, <laughs> the BC, the before, before COVID. COVID. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Forgot we said that. Yeah, dude, I, I'm so thankful that I was able to move to town when I did because I did get six months of normal Nashville. Right. Um, I'd been doing stuff in town prior to that and had been kind of doing the back and forth thing for a few years. So I kind of had a pretty good idea of, of Nashville by the point that I moved, but we met, um, it was right. It was right around like pandemic kind of started in what March, 2020. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was a few months after that when there was kind of that, that like first wave of like reopening I guess you would call it right. Like I the think the let's it, test the waters. Yeah, the let's test the waters. Um, it would have been May or June. I believe it was June 2020, and I went to Belcourt Taps. R.I.P. R.I.P. Moment of silence for Belcourt Taps. And we're back. <laughs> uh, we we met at Belcourt. I had gone out. It was a Sunday night. I could probably find it in my in my iCal. <laughs> Exactly the date. The exact date. But uh, Rachel Horder was playing an artist showcase. Love Rachel. Dear, dear friend. I remember that artist showcase. It was before the shower curtain. It was was before the shower curtain. Um, It was Rachel doing an artist showcase. 
and John Bostwick and Jack Steiner were playing with her. Mm-hmm. John Bostwick at the time was playing drums every week at the church that I worked at. And he had mentioned, he was like, hey, he's like, I'm doing this showcase tonight. Um, you should come out and hang. And so that's literally what it was. Came out on a Sunday night, random um, evening on the town and caught Rachel's set. And I mean, obviously she's incredible. She's and, stellar. And one of the best blew everybody away. And I remember after her showcase that night, you came up on stage and did what you do and uh, shouted over the microphone. You shouted over the microphone <laughs> and over over the people. And you had said, and if any of y'all are here tonight and are interested in performing at Nashville Tour Stop, I know a guy. And that was like all you said. <laughs> and I like put it together. I was like, oh, like, he's it's the guy. Probably him. He's the guy. <laughs> and I was and I was sitting at the bar. And uh, I remember that night. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna go up and introduce myself. And yeah, I you had come over to the bar, stood by me. I think you had saw that I was new or whatever. And uh, yeah, we struck up a conversation, and I uh, I remember saying something to the effect of like, "Well, I already I've I've already had COVID, so I'm like good good to go out." And if, and if and if and if and if anybody cancels their their shows or their sets, like give me a call. I'd love to fill in. Like I said, something to that effect. Like I was like feeling invincible because I had already I had COVID. Feeling by invincible that. after having COVID one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and you, um, you had said, well, email, email Nashville tour stop. And so like, I literally that night, like got on my laptop and Nashville tour stop.com and filled out the form. So I'm sure somewhere in your email archives I've looked at it in the past where it's like, hi, I'm Brandon Ellis. We just met. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, I mean, I, I like, I'm very much a, uh, by the book kind of player. I make I, everyone do it now. Yes. Like it's just a formality at this point, because if you're a nice person, I'd, I don't really, honestly, I don't really care what your music sounds like. If you're going to contribute and be nice to be around, that's really more important to me. Dude, the hang is sometimes worth more than the talent. I think so. Let's talk about the hang. There are so many places in Nashville where the hang happens. And I don't think when I first moved here, I understood that because I I just wanted to be like, oh, my music is what I assumed was like, my music's great. How can I perform? And then I very quickly realized people don't really care what your music sounds like at a, up to a certain point. But if you're fun to just sit and talk to, oh yeah, people would so much rather just sit and hang out. Well, We're all looking to make friends. Yeah, and that's that's something that I feel like I would say over the past well, really since I moved to Nashville, but I would say especially in the last year and a half. Something that I have learned about Nashville, about the music industry is, you know, there's there's kind of this understood that you have talent or you have ability or, you know, most people move here to do music, whatever that looks like, mm-hmm. whether it's songwriting or playing an instrument or being an artist, being a talent buyer, whatever it is. So it's kind of understood that like that's what you're doing. But the interpersonal relations, like how you just are as a human being, oftentimes. That's not always a given. Yeah, it's not always a given. And that oftentimes trumps whatever you bring to the Mm -hmm. table. Like I've been on gigs before where there might be a player in the band or whatever 
that might not have all the chops in the world, but they're the most beautiful person you've ever met. And they encourage others in a way, or they bring a life to the overall, right. The overall product or the overall thing that you're doing that it makes people want to spend more time with that person. It makes them want to invest in them. Like, yeah, the hang is so, is so much more valuable than I think people realize whenever they move here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's. One of it's, the things I find funny is when I meet people who are new and they don't quite understand that yet. And they're kind they're doing the same thing I was doing. It's just like, here's my music. Let me play. And then I'll tell them like, sweet, come hang out. Yeah. And they're like, well, I don't have time to just come hang out. It's like, I got to play. And I'm like, contribute, be seen. That's the best way to be part of a scene is to just be seen. Yeah. Somebody told me years ago, um, people will do things for their friends that they won't do for strangers. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I've really taken to heart in my time in Nashville is you have to, you have to come in not with an expectation of like, I've arrived. Where are my opportunities? Because that's just not how it works. No. It's just not how it works. It takes a long time to get any kind of credibility to do even the smallest things. Absolutely. And I think one of the coolest things about this town is that everybody that moves here, they share a commonality of being transplanted. Mm-hmm. They share the commonality of, especially if they're doing music or they're pursuing art, they have stepped out of a comfort zone. Something within them from wherever they may be, whether it's you know a smaller city in Kansas or a smaller city in Missouri like yourself, like you, there was something that prompted you to pursue something bigger, to pursue something that was going to push or advance them. And that's something that kind of levels the playing field, regardless of what your ability or your talent is. There's something that everybody shares and that's wanting to feel belonging and wanting to be a part of a community, whether that's the community of a band Mm -hmm. or a community of, you know, songwriters or whatever community looks like. Everyone just wants to feel accepted. That's one of the things that I, didn't I didn't identify that sense of community as a as a younger person that I definitely identify now. One of the reasons I really loved growing up when I was in church as a kid was not necessarily the religion behind it, but because of that's where my people were. Yeah. Like people who love me and support me are here. And Dude, one go. of the reasons why I love what I do now is because people that love and support me, not necessarily Aaron of Nashville Tour Stop, but Aaron of Shilb. That's <laughs> People who love Aaron of Shilb are here. Man, that was a hard thing for me to come to grips with. Um, feeling like I could be just Brandon Ellis mm-hmm. and not Brandon, the guy that plays guitar. Right. Or Brandon, the guy that sings those songs. Because like, so many of us are just, we are guitar players. We are songwriters. It, that that unifies us, but it it's, it's nice that we can see that, identify it, and be like, okay, what else do we like about each other other than the fact that we both like playing guitar? Oh yeah. One of my favorite things is like getting together with friends. I mean, you and I have done it like getting together and we don't even like pick up an instrument or we don't even (laughs) like, and which, you know, because it's Nashville can be this all consuming, all engulfing thing of it's just 
it's just music and art and songs and advancement and social media and industry and networking. Like it's all these things all the time, 24 seven, which is what makes it the beautiful place that it is. But sometimes it's like, dude, I don't even want to pick up my guitar and I still love it immensely, but like, I want to just be a human. I want to just have a genuine friendship and connection with somebody outside of what I could offer right. or outside of the industry. It's it's so exhausting living here, honestly, yes. because that there's there's so much to do all the time. And it's overwhelming knowing that 10 of our friends any given night are playing a show and they all want us to be there. And we only have so much mental stamina to go be Brandon, the guitar player. Yes. Or Aaron of Nashville tour stop. I want to, I, I love going to places where I, I'm not known. Like, I'm not a celebrity. I like to call myself a Nashville D-minus celebrity. Because, <laughs> like, I'm I'm popular in, like, two places. And I love going to places where I'm not known at all yeah. and sitting and being anonymous. Mm-hmm. Because as soon as somebody recognizes me, I have to be, like, I have to be that guy. You have to flip the switch. That might, you know what? That might be the most beautiful thing that I ever had in my life after moving here was anonymity. It's cool. Was I moved here. Well, I, I I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll probably get into it, but I had, I had originally moved here to uh, lead worship and serve as a music minister at a church in Franklin. And like outside of that, like, you know, working during the week and, you know, doing services on the weekends, like any other time, like I was just a ghost. I was a ghost here in town. You know, being being from Wichita, Kansas, like it's you know it's it's a smaller city, and you know was born and raised there, and so you know I had gone to high school there, and uh, you know had gone to church there, and had gone to college, and all my family was there, and so like after a while, not that you end up knowing all three hundred thousand or whatever people, but you can't really go anywhere and not run into somebody, mm-hmm. you know, which is a beautiful thing, but also it can be exhausting. It's Cause it's exhausting. like, if you, if you're known as a certain thing and like, I mean, I was heavily doing music back in Kansas. I mean, yeah, you, you never are able to turn it off. And that was one of the coolest things about moving here was like those first, I'm going to say probably four or five months. Like I could go anywhere in town and just and be, nobody know just me. Just be Brandon. And not that, I mean, I'm not a celebrity by any means. And like, I'm very grateful now, like in a relatively short amount of time that, you know, I I can go around town and like know somebody most anywhere I go, Mm -hmm. which is, which is, you know, the beauty of, of this town. But that is something that I do kind of miss is just getting to be invisible. And I think (laughs) it's, it's so cool. And, you know, I mean, things like, you know, social media and just being active in uh, the industry kind of, you know, uh, have not done any favors to help maintain any of that anonymity, which is a good thing, you know, because you obviously want to, you know, you want to have friends and you want to have people you know and connections Yeah, and the anonymity, it it, kind of gets in the way at a certain point if you only want anonymity. Yes. Because if you want to be, for the lack of a better term, if you want to be a nobody, of course, you, it's very easy. Millions of people do it. But if you want to be somebody who's in a band and you're touring, you have to be somebody. Yeah. People don't just get blindly chosen. You must be a good guitar player. You be in my band. 
Yeah. That doesn't happen. No. And that is, that is something that I, yeah, truthfully, I do miss that era that kind of compared to none starting from the ground up. I mean, so a, a lot of people don't know this, but my first, I, I kind of made a vow to myself. My first six months after moving here, I said, I'm not going to play out, which is so backwards. To what, <laughs> I mean, like, I'm like most people move here and it's like, if not on day one, when they're unpacking boxes, it's day two. They're right. like, you know, going to network at whiskey jam or whatever. Like it's there. That's just immediately what they're going to go do. Or they're going to go, you know, go to the Commodore and like try to get on around. Like that's just what you do. But I am without getting too into the weeds of it. Like I was just really in a spot of being burnt out with music, needing a reset, needing a reset. I mean, I, I'm very grateful for it, but like, you know, was serving at a great church at the time in Wichita, which kept me very busy. You know, I was like a formal nine to five. And then like, I had a booking agent at the time that was getting me all of my shows. Like I was kind of the point where it was like, I wasn't like, I couldn't field the emails and inquiries and stuff anymore. It was like, Hey, can you take this stuff and help me manage my calendar? And, you know, was doing that was in several bands at the time I was working on my own material like for being in, you know, a very modest Midwest city and like getting to do stuff regionally and, you know, be making a pretty decent living doing it. Like I was in a very fortunate spot, but it just got to be so much from, you know, you literally leave, your, you know, the day job and you immediately go to play and, yep. you know, you're doing that three, four nights a week, which in Nashville is kind of the norm, <laughs> but you know, it's, you know, it's usually not in conjunction with a full-time job right. for most, but I mean, when I, when I moved here, I was just, I was so burnt out and needing that reset. And, you know, and I was, you know, moving to a new city you know, I'd always wanted to move to Nashville and, you know, I was getting ready to start at a new church and had a lot more responsibilities. So it was very much a, I was trying to make a vow to myself that I wasn't going to dive in. I wasn't going to drown myself for a second time. And that lasted maybe four months. <laughs> Like I couldn't, I couldn't be here and be around the energy and the vibrancy that is Music City. And not let it permeate your soul. Yeah. And the first person I played with was Ryan Fine. <laughs> and I played a full band showcase with him uh, for... At Bus Call. For Bus Call. I was at that show. For Bus Call, uh, Tin Roof to Mumbrian. And dude, that was such a thrill and i was so stinking nervous you play bass or guitar for i played thing? guitar for that um and that was like a funny thing ryan and i literally met at the bar at <laughs> uh the listening room i like went by myself right and you know not getting a table i just sat at the bar to watch you know whatever round was on that night and he got seated next to me and we hit it off and we talked and um then a few nights later, I'd gone to a show at um, Mercy Lounge. Okay, and he was there too. And I was like, "Whoa, this is <laughs> this is this is kind of kind of crazy, you know, to run into the exact same person three nights later." And so ran into him there, and uh, that night we finally exchanged info. And I and I I I remember even what I told him. I said, "Man, I said I I'm really looking to play guitar for somebody because I want to, not because I need to." Cause I, you know, I had a full-time job and everything at the time. So it was very much music was kind of still on the side. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, a few days later he got in touch with me and, um, yeah, play that full band showcase kind of on the, kind of on the heels of his, um, uh, 
his debut EP. And dude, it was such a fun night. I was so nervous. I've been telling him for years he needs to release an EP just called I'm Fine <laughs> or Everything's Fine. <laughs> Everything's Fine. And he, fine, fine and well, fine and dandy. Yeah. Like, I mean, and, there's so and, many great titles. Ryan, I'm still pushing you to do it yeah. because <laughs> I think it'd be hilarious. But I've he, actually, uh, I've actually got a right with him this week. I'm, I'm very excited. He just uh, got engaged, actually. He did. And the, uh, they're doing like a wedding hashtag and the hashtag is everything's fine. So brilliant. At least he's utilizing it somehow. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, and he has his, his company, um, uh, fine-tuned fine, songs fi- fine-tuned custom songs yeah man he's speaking you know we talked about rachel earlier ryan's another one of those people in town that's just the loveliest human so talented and early on in my time here like between you and rachel and ryan and my buddy jared harder and you know like all these just great humans first nice people nice people first separate and aside from any musical talent or ability like i'm very grateful that i found great friends first and uh but yeah ryan uh ryan was the first person i played for i was so nervous because it was my first time playing like real electric in front of people and that was you know <laughs> pre pre-pandemic first time in nashville mm-hmm. but, you know it was pre-pandemic i mean dude tin roof was popping that night oh yeah and uh Thankfully, I I did pretty well, and um, even f- made some other friends through that, like uh, Tyler Dial. Um, we ended up doing some like photo collaborations <laughs> together because he does like you know photos and stuff on the side, and um, yeah, that was just a really great time. But I mean, yeah, I I couldn't even make it four months without you start getting antsy. Oh, so you antsy. Do something so antsy, and you know, from there, you know, it just never really stopped. Well, I mean, it did stop with COVID for a little bit, but. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't stay away from it even for as burnout as I was, um, you know, whenever you've got that fire burning, we've got inside. that toxic relationship with being a part of music. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just, I, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't stay away and I'm glad, uh, I'm glad Ryan took a chance on somebody that had just moved to town. Um, so Ryan, I've, you, take, I've been that person people have taken a chance on and I've botched it. So I'm glad you didn't <laughs> Ryan, if you end up listening to this, uh, I love you, dude. And thank you for, uh, taking a chance. So I love you too, Ryan. <laughs> Is this just a love letter to Ryan? Fine. Yeah. <laughs> Is this like, yeah, let's, uh, let's scrap the last, uh, however long yeah. we've been doing this and just start this, talking this about a, how great Ryan yeah, is. Yeah. Is this, is this like, is this actually going to be like an audible <laughs> book, you know, or whatever? Well, Hey, that's uh, a great spot. Let's take a quick break and we'll come right back with the Nashville tour stop podcast. And we're back with the Nashville Tour Stop podcast. Brandon Ellis sitting across my living room from me. There's <laughs> nice eyebrows. Mm. Yes, mm-hmm. I know. I wish that that the good folks could see all of the facial expressions <laughs> and you know the winks. We've been the thinking looks. about doing video content for the podcast because that's such a popular mode of advertising this kind of thing now. Oh yeah, but it's so difficult getting good footage and finding those nice little nuggets amidst in sometimes an hour and a half or two hour long conversation oh Oh, i i don't want to do that yet and i also don't want to broadcast the inside of my home (laughs) sure yeah i mean dude you got to keep some things private like yeah you know there's there it's healthy to have just the off limits 
that's one of the things that's driving me nuts about right now is we moved out of the tour stop office in January of 23 this year. And I've got my office in my living room right now. And the boundary has been ruined. Dude, I, I, I empathize because when I left my job at the church in December of 22, it's like I had to, you know, clear out an office, um, which wasn't like a ton of stuff. But then my brother moved into my place <laughs> and, uh, you know, I've, I've, I got a two bed, two bath in Franklin. And so like I had that second room. It was my music room, guitar storage, studio, sort of office, I guess. I wasn't really officing at home, but, you know, was able to do stuff. And whenever he moved in, I had to make some very hard calls on which... <laughs> <laughs> on which items could stay in my home and which had to go to the storage unit. And I, I have my desk in my bedroom and it's one of those things like just for writing or for trying to track stuff. Like I can, I can do what I need to do, but it was so nice having, having a space having where work space. happens is yeah. amazing. Well, and it's, and it's also one of those things that's different than like a, we work situation or like a shared, mm -hmm. you know, common space for musicians because, you know, you want to get together and you want to do rights or you want to do, you know, if you got like track guitar or vocals, I mean, I know there are places in Nashville that accommodate that, mm -hmm. but to have your own space that, you know, you don't necessarily have to pay for or, or whatever, it, it's it's hard to, or, you know, pay an affordable mm -hmm. price for. It's harder to, to find those, those, those gold nuggets around here. Yeah. So I'm tolerating the invasion of privacy right now with all of my, like I have my merch just sitting right there next to my desk and, oh, it drives me bananas sitting here and watching TV in the middle of like, it's like 1145 at night and I bonk my head on something. And I'm like, <laughs> it's like, this used to be clean and tidy. And now it's just a mess. Like this box right here is Christmas ornaments on the floor hey, and underneath my TV. You know, yeah. that's Christmas decorations from our party at Nelson's Greenbrier Distillery in 2021. There we go. That's just, it's just stuff. It's just there. It's just there. Dude, in my, uh, in my kitchen, or like, I guess it'd be dining room area. Like I've got one of those, uh, one of those like Hercules seven guitar rack things. And I just have <laughs> guitars. Yep. And then like my piano and you know, it, all that used to be in a very designated space. And yes. I know all good things come in time. I, you know, maybe I'll eventually get into a home or this is a phase something. of life where we're crowded. Yes. Crowded, crowded, crowded is a good word. It's a nice way to put that's, but, that's a, that's a kinder way to say it. But, to, but, but you know, you also have to look at the good, like to now have the flexibility to basically office from wherever. And, you know, for my brother having moved to Nashville, like I wouldn't trade those things for anything. So brother Balake Ellis, Balake Ellis, <laughs> the better Ellis. Well, since uh, Blake came up, let's talk about your, your upbringing a little bit. You're from Wichita. Wichita, Kansas. How did you um, how'd you get into music? How did I get into music? It was I was practically born into it. Um, you know, growing up, so it's my my brother and I. My brother's three and a half years younger than me. Um, my mom was a music pastor growing up, and has sang. I her, didn't know that her entire life. Yeah, yeah. She she served for about for about nine years, ten years um, at a Southern Baptist church. Um, on the north side of Wichita. So we're both pastor's kids. We're both PKs. <laughs> for better, for worse. We're that's both a, that's PKs. a thing. Um, so yeah, so like I definitely had that influence from my mom first and foremost. My aunts and uncles, her siblings, 
like very musical family. Um, her sister plays drums and sings her other brother. My uncle is a phenomenal drummer. Actually me, Blake and my uncle Mark used to gig pretty heavily in Wichita. I'll have to show you some, some videos. <laughs> my grandfather was a gospel singer and had a traveling quartet that they would go around and That's sing cool. and sing at churches and stuff. He was a jazz guitar player. I, uh, whenever he passed away, um, inherited his his gibson uh l7c oh that's sweet and that's a guitar that uh i mean it's like still in kansas still my parents house i uh that's such a special instrument i've i've only broken it out a few times i broke it out for my high school senior pictures <laughs> which funny enough i looked at them last night well because uh because the lady and i were looking at just old mementos and i was like man i need to go look at some of those high school senior pictures and cringe at the poses and the outfits. And I posed with this gold top right here on the wall that, oh, yeah. for my senior photos. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I had my, my grandfather's guitar brought it out for the, for those. And I think Blake even did his senior photos with that guitar. And then I broke it out once more for uh, a photo shoot a couple it's years. a special ago. occasions yeah. instrument. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I really had a, a quite a musical heritage from my mom's side of the family um, my dad, in his own words, says he's just the bus driver. <laughs> so not as not as much uh, not not as much musical influence there. But you know, growing up, a, a lot of my earliest experiences were in church singing. I mean, I sang my first solo in church when I was like four years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would have been yeah, ninety eight. I mean, when our parents are the music pastors, we don't have any option but to sing the solo we're told to sing. Oh yeah. <laughs> so like, did, did that? It was actually a part of a quartet. It was me, my mom, my grandfather, and my aunt. And I think I've got a photo of that somewhere. I might have posted it at one point. But started singing first, and then my mom uh, shortly after that uh, took the music pastor position at that Southern Baptist church. And that really is where like the formative musical experience kind of started to grow. Um, Was it always singing or did you start playing as a well, kid too? I started playing a little bit later. I, I started singing first, but I didn't start playing guitar until 2006. Okay. I gotten a guitar a few years before that, but it was like, you know, a Christmas gift, like, you know, one of those classic, you know, your parents think it's a good idea. And then you don't care. And then you, you know, you, <laughs> you just play with it for like, you know, three days during Christmas break. And then it, you know, kind of goes in the closet. Nah, I'm over it. But, um, ended up, yeah, circling back around to it in 2006 and, um, had gotten a lot of opportunities in that church to, you know, play on Sundays, you know, to, you know, play like offertory specials, join the band, join the, band, join the choir. Um, so that was in like 2006. And then a few years later, 2008, um, I, so I went to a private Christian school growing up and Hey, me too. Hey, there we go. <laughs> private school education. Um, <laughs> there was, uh, my, it would have been my high school youth pastor, um, Adam Shin. Um, he's been a very influential figure in my life. Um, he lives in Georgia now, but he, uh, he kind of saw some potential in me, uh, came to like a couple chapel services at the school. And, uh, I was in eighth grade getting ready to go into high school. And he said, Hey, he said, you know, we'd love to have you be a part of the, of the worship band. 
And so dove in on that. And, you know, for those four years in high school, you know, 2008 to 2012, I mean, every single week was leading services and, you know, leading a band. And um, that coupled with the church that I was at with my mom, it was kind of funny because on Sundays I was at, I was at the church with my mom doing, doing music and doing whatever she needed me to do, you know, whether guitar or singing the choir or vocal solos. We were in church six days a week. Yes. And then on Wednesdays, would go and lead at this other church, mm-hmm. you know, playing electric and singing and leading a band. Youth group. Youth group, yeah. I mean, I look back on those experiences, and those are what really solidified, you know, music and gaining experience through trial and error, through success and failure. Um, but then that was also kind of coupled with you know, I was very involved in choir in high school, kind of by accident. I like was really, really late to enroll for my <laughs> freshman year. And they had two elective courses available. I mean, I, I enrolled like the day before class wow. started. I was late. Um, because I thought I was gonna go to another school at the time. And they had uh, I believe it was choir, it was like mixed chorus or um ceramics. And I was like, I will I will take mixed chorus for five hundred Alex. <laughs> And that, that sounds that, way better than taking a ceramics yeah, class. And that, I mean, and that that kind of altered the trajectory of my high school experience. You know, be, immediately became a choir geek, and uh, you know, did musical theater, and you know, even you know, dipped into you know, becoming a thespian, and um, in high school had started a band, was part of a band called Mercury Rising. Nice. That's actually a pretty good band name. Yeah. Way I mean, better than my high school band name. I was in two. First one was called Ruby Falls. Ruby Falls? Which is a waterfall inside of a cave in Chattanooga, Tennessee here. Yep. I, I've, I've been to it. Yeah. That was our first band name. And Beautiful. the second one was Lot 56. That sounds like a location. It, no, another location. It was a random article search on wikipedia and i clicked that one and i was like that sounds cool that's my band name lot 56 lot 56 <laughs> it was some some vacant lot up in canada I was Dude, like, nah, i'll take it there we go unique man then if the band breaks up i'll just start lot 57 yeah see it's just it's just <laughs> it's just easy numerics you know you ain't you ain't gotta worry about it too much but we uh so mercury rising mercury rising that was like the first band band that i was a part of and i Were started you the lead singer I was a lead singer and rhythm guitar, and it was actually started with three other friends of mine um, that I met at the church where I led in the youth group. It was okay. a, a church called Bethel, and uh, not to be confused with the one in Reading, it was called Bethel Life in Kansas, a very, very different uh, <laughs> church. But uh, yeah, they were they were part of like the adult worship team, and they were younger guys, only like a few years older than me, and um, early twenties okay. guys. Yeah, they point. were they were like they were like late high school, early college. I mean, so there there was a bit of an age gap. Like I was only thirteen or fourteen, and right. they were you know twenty twenty one. And uh, we did you know we did like a record together, which like used to be up on iTunes and everything. <laughs> I I wonder if it still is. Um, I mean, I've still got the the album in in my iTunes, but you know that was a very formative experience. You know, learning how to. It was my first time going to a studio and. Cutting vocals. You realize and, how bad you really are. And you realize how bad you really are. <laughs> and you realize how bad your tone sucks. And, you know, how... Hearing stuff under the microscope like that hurts. Yes. And, but, you know, I, I look back on it. I mean, without that experience, I wouldn't be where I am today. Right. And, you know, very grateful for it. You know, there were, there were uh, 
there were a few good songs on that album. There was actually, um, you know, it was kind of like my first contribution to like writing and, you know, being a part of a collective thing. And, um, that was, that was kind of a moment for me, but from that kind of came my desire to write my own stuff. And so when I ended up parting ways with the band, it was kind of towards the end of high school, you know, started really pursuing my own thing. But I would say the moment that I knew that music was what I was meant to do with my life, it was at a, it was at a choir, uh, a choir engagement. It was in 2010. And, um, I got to be a member of the KMEA all state choir, the Kansas music educators. What part did you sing? I sang tenor one. Yes. It sounds about right. And, um, <laughs> it was, it was like a thing where, um, you know, students, high school students from all across the state would come in, you know, they audition and, um, they all come together for like this weekend, I think it was in February. And, um, there was a guest clinician conductor named Elena Sharkova. Um, she, uh, immigrated from Russia, you know, had a, uh, had a, a really hard time being, um, a female musician in such an oppressive culture with, you know, the Soviet union and everything. And she ended up immigrating to the States and, um, becoming very successful in choral music specifically. And I got to be a part of that choir and I had never up to that point been a part of something musically where the sum was greater than the parts or like whatever, Mm -hmm. whatever that phrase is is greater than the, I know what you're trying to say. Yeah, the whole was greater than the sum of its parts and like had never been a part of something kind of like we were talking about um, talking about earlier about wanting to be a part of a community. Mm-hmm. I'd never had that up to that point. And I, I remember we were doing the concert like on the final night in the the big uh, Century 2 concert hall in Wichita. And we were on the second song and um, it was... Uh, it was Moses Hogan's arrangement of this little light of mine. I've sung that. I mean, Moses just, Hogan's a tremendous composer. Oh, tremendous! Uh, what a what a loss for for the world of music. But I mean, thankfully we still have his work. But we uh, it was I think we did that as the second song, and um, Elena had changed the ending, like which is a very bold thing to do, mm-hmm. like to take to take a transcript of music that somebody has composed. Like, and, I don't like that part. And she made like a very, very subtle, I, I, I'd have to go back, I have my score somewhere, but she made a change. Very, very bold, advantageous thing to do. And I remember it was like, she like altered the chord or she altered, you know, it might've been like a fermata or something. And it was this moment, I mean, I'm, I'm even getting chills thinking about it now. It was, it was a moment that like time stood still. And I knew in that specific moment, I was like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And I don't know what that looks like, but I know that- I want this feeling. I know that this feeling, this connection, this expression is me. And we got a standing ovation on the second song, you know, into like, you know, an eight, nine song Mm -hmm. concert. I mean, it was insane. I mean, and they're all like a bunch of high school kids. Like it's- it didn't. It didn't feel like a like a contrived moment, you know, where it's, you know, oh, the kids did a great job. I mean, it was like People it was a like, very adult, Damn. mature, musical moment, and that 
that altered the course that of that watershed life. moment that changed yeah. everything. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of us musicians have that. Yeah. And we, we wouldn't be here in Nashville trying this if there wasn't something that had quite literally lit the yeah. fire under our butt to do this. Absolutely. And something else that was kind of cool about that, that experience. Um, there was a guy in the choir, um, one of my dear friends from college, um, Ian Hartung was in that same choir and he, sat literally in front of me and like one person over and in like the group photo of the choir, like we're that close to each other. And we didn't even get to know each other until, you know, three or four years later. Wow. And it was so cool. We had that shared moment. Um, cause he, he had kind of a similar experience. He's a, he's living in Kansas city now. He, he uh, um, is a music educator and we were in a band together and we've done some writing and everything, but, uh, yeah, my best friend in college. So, um, but that was that was such a formative moment. And so I knew even from that point, you know, kind of gearing towards college, I went to Friends University in Wichita. Um, very, very similar school to Belmont. What did you what did you study? Uh, I got my BM in music performance and then I minored in religion and philosophy. Cool. Um, I did guitar for my first couple of years, jazz guitar, and then my last two years were vocal. Very cool. So um I think my degree is technically in vocal performance because that was what I finished with, but had a very healthy dose of both. Um, yeah, funny enough, the dean of the music college where I went at Friends, literally the summer after I graduated, transferred to Belmont. <laughs> and then that same summer, the campus pastor at Belmont transferred, transferred. to Friends. <laughs> so it was like, huh, this is, this is pretty interesting. Uh you know, loved my time in college. Um, I, uh, I learned a lot, especially like my first couple of years, you know, cause it was, you know, starting to put names and terms with things that I had learned in music and, you know, it, it, music theory is the same everywhere. So it was, it was cool to finally learn. Music theory was one of my favorite parts of my music education. Oh dude, I loved it. I mean, you know, getting to kind of learn the nuts and bolts of how things sound and why things sound a certain way. And, um, and or why things sound bad. Yeah, or why things <laughs> sound bad and you know, you know learning about just the history of, you know, the different eras of music and you know, hearing I, people in Nashville sing parallel fifths harmony or parallel octaves I'm like this don't do that. Like this is not do that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I I had a, you know, beautiful college experience. I I'd probably say like my sophomore year of college was the best because I you know, I had I had friends at that point was very involved. But man, most of my growth i would say as a musician came from outside the classroom okay um because it was it was kind of the college i went to was very heavily um jazz influenced and you know definitely now i i, I can hear some of that influence in my own playing and my own musicality yes. but at <laughs> at the at the time i mean i wasn't like a jazz cat like you're using jazz those dominant rock. seventh chords man Dude, dom, doms and, and majors and <laughs> extensions and dude, the major nine is my uh, is my favorite um, chord voicing extension. Um, I use ninths too much, even even vocally. Like whenever <laughs> I like do harmonies and stuff, it's like it's kind of it's kind of my gimmick at this point. But um, kind of to make a long story short, I didn't I didn't really fit into kind of the the jazz cat culture. Like there were some insanely great players and kind of a, a short anecdote the top jazz convo at my college was a group called solstice and it was like a very exclusive very elite group like even within like the midwest like friends university has a very strong heritage of music education and of um you know jazz music education 
And this combo, um, you know, had like, you know, six or seven people in it, you know, guitar, guitar, bass, drums, couple horns, uh, keys. And I mean, these guys were bad, like bad in a great, in a, in a great sense, right. like just killer players. And, uh, you know, I was very intimidated cause I, I mean, I, I didn't even bother to audition cause I was like, <laughs> there's just no way. Like I just, I, I don't have the chops. I'm not living in the practice room five, six hours a day. You that have was, to be that guy. That was something that I didn't do in college that for better, for worse, altered my musical trajectory. I didn't utilize the practice room like I should have. Like I was only using practice rooms to just to get through your recitals, to get, get through, through my recitals lessons. and to bare bones, learn stuff. Like I wasn't the guy that was going in there with the metronome, you know, running the altered scales and like, I you know, practicing. going through the real book. I, I kind of took this alternate route of, well, I'm going to take these things I'm learning in the classroom and just go do it out in the real world. Um, you know, I mean, college is such a flight simulator. It's a bubble. It's a bubble. Um, you know, would I have better chops currently if I had spent more time in the practice room? Yeah, probably. But I wouldn't trade the real world experience that I gained in college. And circling back to, to Solstice, I didn't even audition for it. I was so intimidated. Fast forward like maybe two years. Um, was really heavily gigging and um, had started an event band, like a like a wedding band. You know, it was like a huge 10-piece thing with, you know, multiple horns, multiple backup singers. And both of the horn players from Solstice were in that band. <laughs> and I remember having this moment. It was like maybe like one of our first gigs. Looking over, you know, you know, we were like trading solos or something. And I had this moment where I was like, I can hang with these guys. Like not only just like chilling out, hanging, but like musically, I feel like I had gotten to a point where I was like, oh, I'm not intimidated anymore. Like I... I can do this. I can I can stand up and play and not embarrass myself. Yeah. And so that was a that was another moment for me where it was like, okay, like you know, sure, maybe I didn't get my hours in the flight simulator, <laughs> but you know, I got my hours fly, flying fl- flying the flying plane. the real plane, you know, which is a which is a higher gamble, but um uh, that's that's kind of most of my musical background from from the from the end of college. How did songwriting come be part of it? So that, that started kind of towards the end of high school, you know, when I was coming off of Mercury Rising, you know, I had maybe only contributed to like two or three songs on a 10 song project. Um, I sang everything, but they weren't necessarily like my song songs. So, um, started writing probably in like 2010, I think is when I wrote my first song. Like of, that was around the time I wrote my first song. We're the yeah. same age. So that's, yes, we were what, like. 16, 17. Yeah, I might have been, yeah, pr- probably like 16. Um, and so that was, you know, the first few songs um, were not stellar. Um, actually, the very first song I wrote, I believe, I, I have to go back and look at my notebook. It was a song called Only One. Only One. And I put it on my first project. And I actually have played it since living here in Nashville. Like, it's not, you know, objectively, it's not like the greatest song in the world, but it's a song I'm not embarrassed to play. Mm-hmm. I think I actually played it at a basement show. Really? For two or so. I'm, I'm trying <laughs> to remember. I, I think I did. Um, but, you know, start started writing my own songs under my own name and kind of from that era, like those first, you know, 10 songs kind of birthed this, you know, this first solo project that I ended up putting out in 2014. Um, but a few of those songs I, I still play now. Um, you know, they... Uh, 
they have kind of a, a musical attitude and kind of a freshness to them, even still to my ear now, almost 10 years removed. Um, that I don't, I don't, I don't feel embarrassed to play them because I, I know there's something, there's something in the water of those songs that um, still resonates with me. And I think if it still resonates with me, it probably is re- going to resonate with others. So the first song I ever wrote is also still out there. It's called "The Day Before," and it's on it's on Spotify. And I'll go back and listen to it every now and then. And it's funny going back and listening to that stuff and being like, for, you know, for having never written a song, like this isn't the worst thing. Oh yeah. Dude, I've I've one hundred percent heard worse things since moving to Nashville. <laughs> in in that song that I wrote called "The Day Before," you being a theory nerd, you can understand. I wrote a tritone into the melody, but it's a descending tritone. Ooh! I didn't even realize at the time that it was like that you're not supposed to do that. But I was like, that's just the melody I heard in my head, and I was like, that's cool. But I also <laughs> yeah. wrote the song in in a mixed meter. I wrote it in seven four. So dude, come on. My first song I ever wrote was a prog rock song. I know. I, I know. I was like, I was like, is, is that Aaron Schiller or is that Jethro Tull? Or is that yeah, my, is that is that Rush over there? I, I never understood as a kid that the first band I was in was really a prog rock band. Mm. We we changed meters so many times, but it's not because we're like, we're gonna be a prog rock band. It's just like this is the riff that Aaron wrote. And how do the drums go underneath it? Okay, cool. And turns out that's nine eight or seven eight or seven four. Oh yeah dude so there's a there's a song of mine um from that kind of first batch of songs i ever wrote called leaving you behind and uh i mean i still play it actually my first ever um, i've heard that song my my first ever whiskey jam and my first ever tour stop showcase and my first ever um like show at the basement like all these moments um i would like at least early on in nashville like i was opening up my set with that song and like it's got it's it's got those musical moments like you know was like learning about like major sevens and like half diminished chords and um doing stuff like that in music that that's so nashville is so just g c d e minor putting putting a a, a, some kind of a weird chord into it really strikes people because they're not used to hearing stuff like that dude i had a conversation literally last night with somebody i just met um, I played a writer's round last night and it's kind of my first time getting back or one of the first times getting back out since I've been traveling. But um, someone complimented my, just my style and had said something to, to the effect of it's, it's, it's so not Nashville or something to that mm-hmm. effect. And I, some people would take that offensively, but I, I very much, you know, was like grateful for that terminology because that's something that I never want to lose. Like, I mean, I love national music. I love pop country. I love the challenge of trying to turn a phrase or grab people's attention in, you know, 40 seconds. Flip the hook. You know, you know, uh, to quote Charles Kelly, uh, to pour out your heart in, in 320. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I, I love the pop music, country music confines. Right. And storytelling. Because you reach that chorus in less than a minute. Yeah. I love that. But that's something that I hope I never lose in my own artistry is like not forgetting or forsaking the, the things that I started out with and the things that, you know, resonated most with me musically speaking and the things that made you you want to be part of the music world to begin with. Yeah. Like I, I like coloring out of the outside the lines a little bit and not that like what I do is, 
you know, quote unquote, super innovative or, you know, super out there. Like it's still pop music. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I understand that, you know, you commercially have to have hooky choruses and you've got to, you know, uh, you know, still play within it's got to have those the those, sandbox. Yeah, if you have any hopes of you have people to live within really the confines a little bit. But. Yeah, but I like that. Like I'm not actively chasing a pop country thing, right? Or you're that not, I'm, you're not filling out another Mad Lib. No, dude. Song. I'm like I'm I'm over here like wanting to, you know, kind of create this amalgam of if Maroon Five and John Mayer and Ben Rector and the 1975 and Tears for Fears. Like if they all had a baby. <laughs> like that's what I want to continue. That'd be an doing. attractive baby. <laughs> that and would its be name a, is Brandon Ellis, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I I uh, I I I like being able to uh, wear different hats in my different sort of lanes of expression. And I know that for my artist thing and for things I write for me, like I never want to lose that. I want to always keep. Uh, those initial influences and those initial sensibilities very present and evident in, you know, anything I, I release or, or record under my name. Well, so. let's talk some more about your individuality and your style, but let's, before we do that, let's take one more quick break and we'll come right back again with Mr. B. Randon Ellis on the Nashville Tour Stop Podcast. <laughs> And we're back with the Nashville Tour Stop podcast. One more time, we've got Mr. Brandon Ellis sitting across my living room for me today, sitting on my very uh, poofy couch. It's a very nice couch. Thank you. I sleep there almost every night. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I fall asleep watching uh, trash TV, like the ancient aliens. Oh. Just garbage history channel stuff. What is what is your uh, What's your guilty pleasure like Netflix show? I've been watching Cheers lately. What a classic. A classic. Classic, dude. It's formulaic. Every episode is exactly the same. And it kind of makes me feel like I'm in a security blanket. It's beautiful. It's safe. (laughs) Dude, I have been, it's not really like a guilty pleasure, but I have been heavy into The Blacklist. I've never watched that I'm a very late comer to it because I think the show, like I think the final season is airing like on broadcast now. Um, But no, I started season one. Like Paige is super into it. And so uh, I, uh, I Page like, Rose, just for those who, sorry, sorry, who sorry. aren't who aren't in the know. Yes, um, we uh, we were just like hanging out one evening, and she had it on, like in like the middle of the show, like a season six or something. And I immediately was drawn in. Like it's weird to like get sucked into a show that you've never seen before and have no context midway through it. <laughs> and I remember, like I like watched you know, three or four episodes. And I was like, man, this is so good. I just, I want to go back and start from the top. It's James Spader, which I, uh, classic class. I mean, it, it, it was, it was hard for me to see him in the role of Reddington, um, after seeing him as Robert California <laughs> in the office. Everything is sex. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because my favorite, I, I, I think, you know, this, my favorite episode of the office is, uh, pool party pool party which is you know really late in the office That's season uh, eight i think right yeah it's like yeah second to last season um that's my favorite episode of the office 
and I love Robert California. So for me to like start the blacklist, it's kind of like a nice, uh, I get like every time it comes on, I immediately think of the office, which then makes me happy. And then I'm, you know, sucked into the show for whatever is 10, 11 seasons. It's yeah. I've been very into the blacklist, but <laughs> what is, okay. I've never asked you, what is your favorite episode of the office? My favorite episode of the office is beach games, beach games, beach games, season two or season three finale. Uh huh. It's, uh, and it's really just because of one line when Kevin is sitting on uh, the beach and he does a talking head. He goes, I just want to sit on the beach and eat hot dogs. That's all I've ever wanted. (laughs) Dude, as long as you and I have been friends, I've never asked you that. I love that show. How is it that both of our episodes have to do with water? (laughs) I don't know. So we've uh, we've talked about so much today on the show. And honestly, I feel bad kind of trying to wrap it up in an hour package like we always do because we could sit and talk here for like hours longer oh yeah but let's talk about some gear you and i are both gear nerds to a to a degree oh. maybe you m- more so than i yeah it's but a, uh we we both got started early on being big fans of van halen and eddie was a huge influence on my guitar playing early on and my desire to collect like effects and stuff but what what got that that fire under your butt lit man i uh i'm kind of a it's a gear is a quiet addiction. You know, you just yes. kind of, you just acquire things and then you just magically take them out in public. And it's like, <laughs> Oh, Whoa. Didn't know. Um, yeah, no, Eddie Van Halen. Um, one of my biggest guitar influences. Um, I mean, I'll never forget the moment that my dad put on Van Halen one and I heard eruption for the first time. Like that was a moment in time. Transcendent, transcendent, you know, euphoric, all of the, all of the emotions, all of the feels, all of the inspiration. But uh, even though I don't necessarily play like him in what I do, I very much have pulled a lot of. I've his. seen you two hand tap at a live show before. <laughs> I've seen that. <laughs> oh man, uh, guilty as charged. <laughs> um, but man, what what kind of got me into gear? Um, I mean, I want to preface anything I say about gear with saying, and I know this is like the, you know, it could practically be a bumper sticker. You know, but tone is in the fingers. And I don't even like mean to say that like some boomer guitar player that is like guitar into amp. Like, I don't even mean to say it like some boomer would, you know, guitar into amp. But I really. The purest way. Yeah, I've I have really found, you know, the further down the road I get as a professional guitar player. What you can do with just your hands. The instrument and you know just plugging into whatever you've got or whatever you have to play like whatever's in your hands like whatever you can do with just the paintbrush more pedals will not make you a better guitar player they can enhance certain things but it won't make you a a better guitar player won't make you sound good if you just have a ds1 cranked (laughs) to 11 dude and you know what's even funny like in terms of effects and pedals and gear in recent days, like within the last probably five, six months, I've become a lot more um, reductive in my approach. And I think it just might be some of the music I'm listening to or what's been inspiring me lately. But even I've just been so much more interested in, you know, finding great instruments and getting the most out of the particular instrument I have in my hands. And I feel like I've been sort of relying on effects less, um, you know, like what's in your pedal train right now? Which one? <laughs> <laughs> um, my my main like 
in town board, like my, I basically have like a small, medium, large, uh, my, my main in town board that, um, it's a pedal train junior. I've got, um, I've got kind of the meat and taters as I like to think of it, but dude, got good old boss tuner. Cannot, TU2? cannot, can, oh yeah. TU2 cannot, cannot show up to a gig without a tuner. And I've got basically like three overdrives on it, uh, rocking a JHS morning glory that I've had for years. Um, uh, the most recent addition is I got an XTS rehoused nobles ODR one overdrive. Cool. So it's one of the newer ones. It's not, I, I had an old one years ago, but sold it when, uh, when, when, when times were tough and I wish I wouldn't have, cause now they're literally going for over a thousand dollars. But, um, I've, I've got a newer one. That's been a, that's been kind of my mainstay drive recently. Um, I got the new Soldano. Um, SLO overdrive pedal, which is based off of the Soldano SLO mm-hmm. 100, which actually Eddie Van Halen used quite prominently on the Carnal Knowledge record. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Uh, it, I didn't he, know that. Yeah, it's dude. And, uh, I've I've played a real Soldano, and they're incredible. I mean, it's just gain and balls for days, and it's just such a cool sound. But they uh, they finally made out made a pedal. It's cool. So I've got that on my board. Funny, I really don't click that one on very much because it's so much gain. It's so much gain. Like, honestly, between the Morning Glory and the Nobles, that gets me about everything I need for anything. Um, and then uh, to round it out, I've got a Vertex Landau Boost. That's my my favorite clean boost pedal. And then for, like, effects effects, like because I basically, yeah, like, Tuner and Gain is what I've got on my on my front row. And then on top of it, um, rocking an old... Boss RV five for reverb, mm-hmm. um, Boss DD five for delay, and then I've got at the very end um, a Line six HX Stomp, okay, which I use for like, you know, choruses and uh, tremolo, and it's even got the option. You know, there's like amp simulators in the HX stuff. Yeah, Line so, six equipment has really improved in the last ten years. Yeah. My first amp was a Spider three. Oh man, one of those little fifteen watts. Did you that, throw it on the insane channel? Oh yeah, every for all time. for all the game. Every time, yeah. I was trying to play Van Halen. Of course, I needed <laughs> as high of gain as I could get. But yeah. the, the those solid state amps were not great. But the amp modeling materials that they have now are crazy good, dude. It's so good. Uh, which I I keep that HX on the board because like you know if I have to go do a like a Broadway thing or. I'm go to like a church situation where I can't plug direct. Yeah. Where where I can't use an amp or an amp's not available. Um, the amp Sims and the IRs that come in the HX stomp are, are are pretty decent. They're, they're not my favorite by any means, but you can get away with it. Mm -hmm. Um, speaking of like modeling technology, I actually, I've not pulled the trigger yet, but I'm about to go fractal. Really? Yeah. Um, a buddy of mine, Dylan Bodley, um, phenomenal guitar player here in town. He, um, we've, we've been on a few gigs together with a few different artists and dude, the tones he gets out of his fractal are just mind blowing. And, uh, he modeling technology is, is, is mind boggling. Yeah. And I mean, I just, he really inspired me. And so we, we kind of started nerding out and I kind of was, you know, asking him all the questions of the ins and outs. Like, I mean, I know there's a YouTube video for everything, but part of me was like, I want to just cut to the chase with like another guy that is doing professional work in a professional setting and like how do you approach you know even just things like like organization of like programming set lists and having your bpms and having your 
song sections and like predetermined tones. That way you're not dealing with, you know, a different backline amp every night or whatever. I mean, I've, I've really learned a lot. I'd say even in how I approach gear through my work on the road and touring, like the most important thing I think when it comes to gear is that it works. Like you've got to have a guitar that stays in tune, right? You've got to have a pedal board or a, floor unit or a di or whatever that just works every time that gives you that consistency i would say i would say consistency and reliability are the most important things i look for in gear now um don't get me wrong i still have an insane pedal collection and amp collection and have more guitars than i know what to do with but, how many guitars do you have uh, <laughs> you gotta sit and count i think i've got 24 24 uh-huh i think i've got 12 and within the within the twenty four, like there's acoustics in there. Mm-hmm. I've got a couple basses. I've I've started playing bass professionally too, so I've had I had to get me a second bass. You know, just was that a Firebird bass you're playing? Yeah, it's a Gibson Thunderbird. Thunderbird. Um, I uh, the Thunderbird is the bass version of the Firebird guitar, right? right? Correct. Yeah, it's a it's it's a non reverse Thunderbird. Um, got very very fortunate. Um, without uh, naming names. Um somebody at a label that I work for an artist there um, gifted that to me. So you could have a quality, reliable instrument for the touring. Yes. And dude, it uh, has been a game changer um, for just playing bass. I, uh, I will say the cool and kind of quirky thing about the Thunderbird is the scale length is incredibly long. Like I, I'd have to you go back feel and feel like you're reaching for that. that yeah, low F. no, I would, I, I would have to go back and look at the scale length. I think, or like the spec sheet, I think the scale length is like 34 inches. So yeah, like I have to actually at certain points in the set when I play for people have to remember like, Oh, I have to go further to hit an F or an F sharp. Mm-hmm. Um, like I have to consciously think about it, but like once you get used to that, I mean, dude, I have a Fender such a rag base and it's a short scale. Wait, do so, you really? Yeah. And you don't have to reach very far to, to get down that low. Yeah. But I have played those ones where you have to like full extend your arm to yep. hit that last note. Yeah. No, I mean, well, in my, my other base, I've got like a, um, do you have a P base. Is yeah, that what it is? Yeah. I have the, the Fender sting gotcha. signature precision, uh, base and like love that instrument. I have flats on it, but like the scaling is very normal. Mm hmm. And so whenever you pick up the Thunderbird, like you got to be ready to rock and like know, <laughs> know where you're at on the neck because it's, yeah, the scale length is, is probably the biggest thing that throws people off with it, but very grateful to, uh, to Gibson for that one. And, um, that's been, that's become my mainstay base on the road. And, but yeah, I mean, gear dude, I'm looking, looking at reliability is kind of, is kind of my number one thing now, um, with how I approach like building a board or what things I can fit in a backpack or you know what can i put into my micro pedal train and fit which five pedals do i have to have yes and that's very much been my my headspace that i've had to exist in for you know the past year and a half when you're on the road if it'd be sweet to be able to carry around the biggest most complicated things but when you're having to be your own roadie it gets hard carrying heavy stuff everywhere all the time oh yeah and i mean trying to eliminate what you carry around like for checked bags Mm -hmm. or even just physically, like when you pick up stuff at, you know, baggage claim, uh, you know, taking an extra Pelican case with your, you know, your pedal train too, that's got 10 pedals on it and it weighs 32 pounds. Like that stuff just wears on you physically. And 
when you're throwing stuff inside of cars and vans and trailers and I mean, uh, that's you, why I've always used the the micro pedal train. It's just yeah, it's a light option. Yeah, so and I it have, does force me to f- pick the essentials when I perform. Yeah, I have a, I have I have a couple pedal train nanos. Like one always has pedals on it, and then the other one I just leave empty to kind of right. build stuff as I need it. You know, for a project or a session or whatever. But um, yeah, I've, I've got the. Uh, the MXR overdrive on my pedal train that you got me. Yeah, you do. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Dude, I love the MXR stuff. I, uh, I didn't realize that the MXR was like apparently my favorite brand of pedal manufacturer because over the years I've just been like, Oh, this one sounds great. And I put it on. And with the exception of the TU two tuner, everything on my pedal train is an MXR. Dude, that's the same with my brother. Uh, my brother's bass pedal board is all MXR. Like he's got a, he's got an overdrive, the, the phase 90. Um, I've got the phase 90. Uh, what else does he have? Like chorus pedal, like the, the analog chorus. That's one that I don't have. I would love to have his, his big secret weapon is the, the MXR bass octave mm-hmm. pedal. Um, just so cool. Such a great sounding pedal for bass. Um, on my, on my main like touring bass pedal board, I've got a very lean, like only the essentials kind of thing that I tour with because of, you know, reliability, but also just for travel and transport. I've got Boss TU2. Um, it's just for like four or five of those you've got now. Dude, I do. I know. I, I really do. And like, <laughs> they're like probably my oldest pedals at this point because I got them so long ago. But yeah, I've got the Boss TU2, the Boss Super Octave pedal um, for like the super low mm-hmm. stuff. And then a Sans Amp version too for like kind of tone sculpting. And it also gives me a, a DI solution if I'm in a venue where I have to go direct mm-hmm. or um, I on my rider, like I backline an Ampeg. The Sans Amp S- is a utility pedal and every bass player should have one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I know that like some guys are really, uh, really partial to like the Aguilar stuff, like the Tone Hammer or the or the the Noble DI um which are all great solutions, but like for me, for kind of playing heavier, like pop country stuff on bass, um, a touch more grit, a touch more grit. Like that's, that's just why it works for me. And, right. you know, I, you know, I've got an, an SVT for like my back line. So, um, I'm able to get a little more grit even out of those amps. So, um, it's, it, it's been a lot of fun to play bass. It's, it's been a relatively new adventure for me. Like I've, I've always dabbled with it and have had that, you know, that trick up the sleeve, but have never fully gone for it. And now it's, it's really cool to be, <laughs> to be fully, fully in, into playing bass professionally. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a totally different headspace than guitar. Um, because guitars, you're trying to add flair and flavor and bass. You're just the foundation. Oh yeah. Well, and even kind of circling back to something I said a few minutes ago, uh, you know, I was, I, I've kind of approached gear a little more reductively and, and like effects and everything. I also think some of that kind of comes from playing so much acoustic on the road Mm. or like having to juggle so many different things. Like one of the artists I play for, I'm playing acoustic and BGV and music directing and firing the tracks. So it's like a ton of things to, it's just a lot of things to think about. And thankfully in that, like I'm not, I'm not in a situation where I have to like make a bunch of patch changes or like hit a bunch of pedals on and off and, like whatever I I can do in situations where I've got multiple things that I have to be thinking about constantly, you know, the less tap dance and the less 
stress the better and so like some the of that places has, has, where a, a, tr- a pedal train can go out relieves the stress of which of these three inch cables isn't working right dude, now <laughs> I, if i had a dime for every time i've had to like troubleshoot a patch cable i recently uh uh probably within like the last year switched over to um the ernie ball soldered ribbon cables mm-hmm. i used to be a george l guy completely. ernie ball makes good stuff dude ernie ball can't miss i'm i'm very grateful they're they're uh they're one of my uh, one of my gear sponsors, and I mean, dude, I love their stuff even before getting to partner with them. And they're yeah, their soldered ribbon patch cables. Like I literally took every other pedal off, or every other cable off my right. board and replaced them with those, and they're just fantastic. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, that's that's my my current nerdery with the <laughs> with uh, well, gear. Brandon, we could talk about so much more. Uh, I know you said you have uh, you're working on some music for yourself. I know you're a, a hired gun for a, a a lot of people anymore. But tell us what's going on in Brandon's world. In Brandon's world, yeah. So um, playing for a few artists right now. Um, kind of as a sideman, uh, playing bass for Shane Prophet. Um, he's a fantastic artist over at Big Machine Records. Um, I've been playing guitar recently, MDing tracks, everything for Lauren Weintraub. Mm-hmm. Um, she's over at Virgin Records. Um, she's a sweetheart. Shane's an amazing dude as well. Uh, love, love both of their. Both um, mastered the hang. Both yes, they're <laughs> they're they're both just lovely people, and have have a few others I'm currently working with. Um, I I went full freelance um, at the end of last year and. Um, has been a totally different pace of life and pace of creativity. And um, it's been quite an adventure. And being able to go full freelance and work for these other artists, I also have been able to sew a little bit more into my artist thing. And I have some new music coming out very soon, um, probably within the next couple of months. Uh, I've got, got, um, my my brother and I were able to uh, go to Sound Emporium here in Nashville um, almost a month ago now, I guess. And, uh, we cut a couple singles for me, cut a couple for him. And so I've, I've been working on those whenever I'm not on the road. So yeah, the, the first of those singles will be coming out here in a couple of months. So I've got about two or three singles that will be sprinkled throughout the year. And then also kind of a, um, it's going to be kind of a soft release of an EP that I'd started back, um, when I was living in Kansas, um, it was a project I intended to get done sooner, but you know, now so much time has passed. It's, you know, it's now one of those things that I just, I, I want to get it out in the world because it deserves to live on Spotify or Apple music. More and than you're it does tired of thinking about on it. my hard drive. Yeah. <laughs> um, which though that, that won't be like a, a, a heavy handed release, but you know, there's, it's a, it's a full album that is going to be split into two parts, a couple of six song EPs, um, that, um, I hope people enjoy. I mean, I, I I love the songs. And even though some time has passed and I might be in like a different life space and writing space now than I was when I started that project, um, it's something that I still feel deserves uh, some life in the world. And, you know, any any fans or supporters of mine that want to hear some new songs and some, some material that... I know there's people out there who want to hear more Brandon Ellis Ooh, music. <laughs> that doesn't get, uh, that doesn't get, you know... Uh, as much life um, i'm excited to put that project out so that'll that'll probably be a closer to summertime release but definitely have a single coming here in the next couple of months so cool very excited for that 
Um, well, Brandon, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Dude, it has been a pleasure. Thanks for uh, for, for letting me... Uh, Before we go, do you have any just quick bits of wisdom you can give to people who might be considering a move to Nashville or are maybe feeling stalled in their careers? Any Any just little bits you can offer? A nugget, perhaps? Yes. Um, a piece of advice that I was given, um, there's a fantastic session guitar player, producer, writer here in town named Derek Wells. Um, he's somebody that I look up to. Um, he, he's produced the, um, the latest, like, like Hardy Mm -hmm. records and, um, he plays on everything. He's fantastic. Um, I followed him for a number of years, even before moving here and, um, he's actually, uh, he actually recommended the watch I'm wearing right now. This, nice. this, this Seiko five. And I'm wearing the, uh, Tissot that you recommended dude, to me. Dude. Oh man. We can, we can do a whole other episode on just watches. <laughs> um, but I, uh, he, he did an Instagram Q and a once, um, this might've been 2018 for me. And I had fired a question away. I said, Hey, what's the biggest piece of advice you would give to somebody wanting to move to Nashville? And he just typed back, must be present to win. And it just hit me between the eyes. Like I love that. And, you know, to kind of expound upon that, like it's something that is hard to realize until you actually get moved to the 615, the area code here for those of you that... uh, (laughs) For Just those of you that you don't didn't know, catch that. Yeah. Be like the hardest thing to realize without actually physically living in Nashville is so much of what you do in whatever avenue of music you're in is relationship based and is proximity based. You know, there, you know, I, I got the, the gig with Shane because a friend of mine literally texted me less than 24 hours out and was like, Hey, I've got this audition tomorrow with this artist. I'm supposed to bring a bass player with me. Here's the songs. Can you make it? (laughs) And I was like, yeah, I'll be there. Cool. Like if you're living in Utah, you can't make it to the audition in less than 24 hours. Uh, You know, I mean, sure you maybe could, but it's just, that's just not how this town works. It's, you have to be around, you have to be, developing genuine friendships you have to be networking you have to be constantly honing your craft and you know you got to be where the action is yep. and you know when 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 Derek gave me that piece of advice that's kind of something i've shared with people you know it's if you're questioning whether you should make the jump or what the timing of it is you know there's there's never an ideal time like even even my move to get here um, I mean, I moved late years later than I thought I was going to. And for, you know, a little while I was like, man, I was like, and you were 26 when you moved, I was 25, 25, yeah. you know, I thought I moved too late, you know, I'm 29 now. And I, I know now that there is no one size fits all. Some people move to town and, you know, get to work and, uh, have success very quickly. And, you know, the first year or two, some people are here for, you know, decades, decades. Jinx. I mean, jinx. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Chris Stapleton, like, you know, he's a prime example I use. I believe he had been writing or, you know, uh, you know, doing, doing some stuff that wasn't his solo project for something like, you know, 15, 16, 18 years. I, I can't remember exactly what it is. I have to go look on Wikipedia, but like 
Traveler. You just have to be here. Traveler didn't pop until 2015. Right. And I mean, everybody popped if he had been living in Bozeman, Montana. Yeah. I mean, uh, everybody's everybody's story is different. Uh, John Mayer lives in Bozeman, Montana now. Fun fact. <laughs> You know, and that's and and that's something I guess to kind of maybe give like a, a a little addendum to my advice is playing the comparison game is so toxic and mm-hmm. it's so hard to not do, you know, because of Instagram and TikTok and you you know you think you see all these people succeeding every second of the day because they're putting the highlight reel up and it's it's hard. I mean, dude, I even yesterday I was like comparing myself to. Another buddy of mine that got some insane, you know, uh, touring opportunities. And part of me was like, I had to pause and be like, I get to do the same thing. So why am I constantly getting barraged with feeling inadequate or feeling like I haven't done well? And it's, it's all, it's all a facade. Like it's all. And it's all a matter of perspective. It's all a matter of perspective. And, you know, that's, that's something that once you do get moved here, that like you have to make a conscious effort to not compare yourself because everybody's trajectory is different. Everybody's timeline, circumstance, you know, finance, relationships, ability, all those things are such variables. And you really can only focus on what you have today, what's right in front of you, your friends, your connections, your um, expectation. And so I'd say probably the last piece of advice, if must be present to win, quote, Derek Wells is uh, my first piece of advice. My second piece of advice is uh, be good at what you do. Be good to people. And everything that. else will follow. Um, I, in in my time in Nashville, you know, the three and a half, four years I've been here. You have been good to people. I would like to think I've, I've been good to people and that has, um, that has resonated and that has unlocked some opportunities that, maybe have not come uh, to others. And I also have a desire to constantly get better. I mean, I, every gig I walk away from, which maybe this is not a good thing, but I don't, I don't think about the 10,000 notes I got right. I think about the one or two I mm-hmm. got wrong or the one note that was flat or right. the, Oh, I could that have said one that hard differently. Stop you missed. You know, that's, I, that's what I obsess over. Like that's what keeps me up at night. And that's what makes me want to get the next gig mm-hmm. and get the next, thing just to constantly improve and it's like if you have that fire and that desire inside you to never be content with being fine or being content with being average or whatever you will succeed in this town there are a lot of people who are comfortable with mediocrity yeah i mean you just can't be yeah and that's you know that's something i've really learned through through touring and you know playing with you know major label artists the last couple of years is you you have to come bringing your a game every single time and that's not to say that you know you don't have a bad note here or there i mean we're all human everybody's fallible and you know that's just a part of life and music but you have to be striving to be the best you can be to always come prepared and to be good to every person you come in contact with even if you've been flying all day and you get in late at night and you know uh all you want to do is just lay down yeah 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 you know you know you're 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 flying into to laguardia and you're 
tired and you have to go to baggage claim and you know you're walking you out of the, the airport of John in the airport <laughs> <laughs> you know and you and you you know you get outside and you've got your uber getting ready to pick you up take you to the hotel or whatever it's like even be good to that person um it's it's especially important i mean you should be good to people wherever you go but even in nashville especially word travels like wildfire like if you're really if you're a great player and a great hang and a great person that will that will ripple through the community. And if you are the inverse of that, that also that ripples. also spreads. And I'd say, you know, probably my last piece of advice um, is to Speak never quietly and big carry a big stick. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Is 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 to never uh to never let your tongue get the best of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there have been a few times I've screwed up by saying something about somebody that maybe it was off color or I shouldn't have said, or, you know, and it catches up with you. And, you know, Nashville is such a small town. It is. And the music industry inside of Nashville is an even smaller village. And the, the people that are really doing the thing that are either touring or talent buying or playing on the records or that are the signed artists or the songwriters, like, those pools and pockets are so small. And, and if you know, you're mean to one person, all of a sudden their friends don't like you. Yes. And all of a sudden your opportunities start diminishing because word travels fast. And um, so yeah, I mean, I guess those are kind of my main pieces of advice to people that are wanting to move here. I think that's one of the most beautiful things about Nashville is it inspires. And, you know, I, I remember the kid in high school that knew that, after college Nashville was where I was going to end up because I love playing guitar. I love writing songs. I love bringing people's visions to life. And Nashville is a place where you can do all of those things. And, um, (laughs) this might be a good ending point for us today. I really have Nashville tour stop to thank for being a place where I could find great people and where I could get opportunities to, showcase my songs and to showcase my artistry and to work hard and be good to people and find a place where I belonged. You know, I I remember telling you a while back, Nashville tour stop made Nashville feel like a home for the first time since moving here, you know, in 2019 and, you know, in 2020, it, it had very quickly become the place that I knew like this is where I want to put down roots and like these are the people I want to be around these are the people I want to be around and they constantly push me to be better and um you know it's been really cool to see where where my life and my career has ended up in such a relatively short amount of time you know it's it's kind of seemed like one big long vacation <laughs> Uh, but then you start looking over your shoulder and you realize how, how much work and how many hours and how many gigs and songs and late nights and early mornings and everything in between, uh, like how much all of that adds up. And, uh, I'm very grateful to you for taking a chance on a Kansas kid, one fateful night at Belcourt Taps (laughs) in 2020 amidst all of the chaos. I'm glad that it worked out, man. I am. Look I, at us now. I am too. Look at us now. Almost 30. <laughs> Dude, man. Oh, almost 30. It I, happens this you year. Know what, you know what? You know what I think? I think I think when you turn 30, that's the age when you start lying about your age. Mm-hmm. Like, 
it's do, happening. Can I go get like a fake ID to be younger? <laughs> a fake ID that says I'm 21 and then I'm like balding and I've got a beer gut. And the dude at the, the dude at the door is like, you're definitely not 21. And I'm like, no, I totally am. He goes, bro, you're at least like 40. <laughs> But man, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful you had me on today and, uh, this, this has been really cool. Welcome formally to the podcast. Give us your plugs. Where can people check you out? All right. Uh, you can check me out on Instagram at Brandon Ellis music. That's probably where I'm most active. Um, I do have a TikTok, but I don't really use you it. You don't very TikTok much. about it. I might, I might start using it. Uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. I'm starting to become a boomer. So uh, Instagram is the best place, uh, Spotify, Apple music, Brandon Ellis. Um, I've got several singles out. Um, check out grace, magic, first love mixtape. Oh yeah. And, uh, we've got some more music coming, coming this year, 2023. Very excited about, uh, the future and what this year has to hold. I can't wait for it, man. Dude. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to the, uh, actually surprisingly longer episode than normal this week. I'm delighted that Brandon and I had so much to chat about. And uh, we'll have you back. It won't take years to have you on, I promise. No, it will not. You just <laughs> you just shoot me a call or a text and I'll be here, man. You got it. Well, check us out on the web at NashvilleTourStop.com. You can find our full live event calendar right there. We've got a really busy spring and a really busy summer coming up. We've got shows that are going to be happening. I think it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday again. So we're going to have a busy year. That's every day of the week. Oh, uh, all gosh darn near. <laughs> but we've got we've got a busy year coming ahead of us. And there's a whole bunch more stuff that's uh, just in the pipes to kind of eventually be out there. So keep an eye on our website for more announcements and stuff. But in the meantime, follow us on social media at Nashville Tour Stop. You can keep up with the, uh, the the day-to-day, as it were. You can see the highlights. You can see the posters right there. But we also have our Patreon. You can contribute and subscribe to that. We've got bonus content. We've got so much more of me talking to my friends just like this right here. There's also the Indie Musician Starter Kit where I give tips and tricks on helping get people uh, started if you have no idea how to do things. I can offer some advice. But even though that is the end of this week's episode, please do remember that all roads lead right back here to the Nashville Nashville Tour Tour Stop. Stop.